is going on, comic book movie fans? My name is Jonathan, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Jay Light. I met Jay through Instagram, and Jay, you want to tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm Jay. I'm a comedian, stand-up comic, and writer, and podcaster based in Los Angeles. Uh, I've been doing stand-up for about 12 years, and I have a podcast called Blockbusting, uh, where people talk about movies they hate and why they hate them. And I'll be on that show very soon talking about a movie that uh, I definitely don't like very much. <laughs> anyway, today we are going to discuss a comic book movie that most people don't like very much. The name of this film is Superman Returns. It was almost like an homage to the older Superman, like the older Richard Donner films that came out in the late 70s and early 80s. In some ways, for me at least, this film works. I won't go too far into detail just yet, but I will say that I do appreciate the, you know, the same theme song, which everybody's in love with that theme song. You know, the Who, whole- yeah. How can you hate the John Williams Superman theme? It's such a classic. It really gets it gets the heartstrings pulling right away. Absolutely. I mean, like I would put it right up there with the Star Wars theme song. I mean, I think that it's that's upper echelon iconic theme songs. I feel really bad for Brandon Routh because I think that there was a lot of potential there for him to be a really great Superman. I think that he has the look. He's a good enough actor for whatever reason. I mean, I guess I know the reason (laughs) this movie didn't work out. I think that out of all the people that were involved in this film, I really feel the worst for Brandon. It's such a shame because in my mind, I've always felt Superman, as far as superheroes go, is kind of difficult to pull off well on film or television unless it's animated because he's kind of boring, right? He's he's a perfect dude. He has pretty much any superpower you can think of. Brandon Routh, I guess if you're if you're going to choose a bland guy to be your bland superhero, Brandon Routh's a good pick. But one of the things that you really, I think, need in, if you want to make Superman compelling, and I think why Henry Cavill, for instance, works a little bit better as a Superman for me, is you have to really feel this sense of uh, the sense of longing to be human that I think Superman feels as a character. Um, and I don't think Brandon Routh uh, is really anything other than than a pretty boy. And and sure, like that's half of Superman, but you got to have that other half, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I personally love Henry Cavill as Superman and I loved his solo Superman film, Man of Steel. But a lot of people's biggest issue, it seems like, stems from that very aspect of the character that they were trying to ground him a little more and, and give him some of those flaws to making him, make him a more interesting character. But in the process, everyone felt like, oh, well, you lost the essence of what makes the character of Superman Superman. Sure, you know, like, I, I thought it was very intriguing because he had some very real-world problems to deal with in his very first outing. And he's just learning how to use these powers for the first time. He hasn't Mm -hmm. been Superman for very long. It's interesting you say that because I totally agree. But some people, some of the unpleasable comic book nerd (laughs) community do not agree. And this is the Uh, downside to to the fandom, too. It's like, of course, uh, any fandom is going to be hard to please. Any fandom is really going to want things to be their exact way. 
And unfortunately, that's just not how Hollywood works. Hollywood works very differently from the world of comic book publishing and the world of these characters being built over the course of decades. And now we have to sum them up for like, oh, okay, we got to do two hours, two and a half hours to get you really in sync with with this guy who you might not have seen the context that will, that will require you to need Superman returns uh, to like to feel the emotions. Like I've never seen the original Richard Donner Superman uh, films. I feel like if I had seen those, maybe I would have cared a little bit more about what was going on with this, uh, with this iteration of Superman, but it just didn't fully connect. Like I could see what it was going for, but I felt just a little bit too far removed from what was going on. And I don't think that that's something that, needs to happen in a sequel like i feel like you can watch a sequel to uh and even if it's like a spiritual sequel sort of like what like what was going on here but i feel like you can still get in it and still get locked into what's going on through the storytelling for me i just felt a little bit too far at a distance from what was happening there are a lot like trust me i'm gonna get to the part where i'm gonna crap on this film oh boy there, there are a lot of things that were good about this film. What you want about Kevin Spacey and his past scandals? He was a great actor, and he really nailed this role, in my opinion. Gene Hackman was the first Lex Luthor on screen, and then Jesse Eisenberg. Oh God, don't get me started <laughs> on that. But I think, and this might be very controversial on a hot take, but. I think that this interpretation of Lex Luthor might be the best on-screen Lex Luthor that we've ever gotten in the live-action realm. He is a very good Lex Luthor. I think Kevin Spacey shines at playing a villain, which sort of makes sense given his real-life alleged villainy. For me, he was probably the most compelling and, and, and good element of this film. It felt like there was... You know, a lot of choices that were made with him as a character that the way he played Lex Luthor, it just made sense. Like he really was just evil and you could feel the like that 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 sense of that arrogance, that feeling like he was making all the right choices and that really that lack of care for humanity and really just putting his own wants and needs ahead of everybody else. I feel like Kevin Spacey really like he, he's hamming it up. He's digging it in for this role. When you're playing a villain like Lex Luthor, who's definitely larger than life, you kind of need a larger than life performance to back it up. And Kevin Spacey really did the job. Yeah, absolutely. Why did Superman have to leave earth and come back in this pod? A and B, how the hell was there a pod if there was no Krypton? You know what I'm saying? Like, know. the planet was literally destroyed. And where did he get this pod from? This is the same pod that he was sent to Earth in when he was a baby. So it's odd to me, like, maybe it was the same pod that was on the farm, but Superman can fly so fast. He, I mean, surely, I know it's probably a ways away to Krypton, right? But right. surely he could have flown there and flown back, and it wouldn't have taken five years, like, I just thought that that was something they kind of shoehorned in the film because it was convenient mm-hmm. and they needed that to happen to make the plot work that he was gone for five years. So that's a minor complaint. But when you really start to think about it, it's actually a pretty big complaint. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. There's so much in this movie that I mean, with comic book movies, you've always got to have a sort of dis- a suspension of disbelief. And yeah. 
unfortunately, there are times when it falls through the cracks of something feeling so off and and so unexplained that it just really doesn't help what's going on in the movie. This is one of those cases. The fact that you see Superman fly into space at the very end of the movie, you see him doing fine in space. Why does he have to take a pot? He's Superman. He can fly. He can fly. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need to take a pod. You don't need to resort to giving him that kind of protection. Let Superman be Superman. Let him fly through space. Let him. Let him be. Let him be the guy. All right. Don't give him. He's not. It's not Elon Musk. He's Superman. Let him fly. Make him do his thing. He's gonna be yeah. okay. I think that that's kind of what it falls back to. I think that they needed that to happen. They needed him to be gone for five years to make the plot of the film work. It was one of those things, but yeah, it was a very odd decision, I thought. You know, Marlon Brando, they they brought him back in that. That was probably one of the first cases, at least that I can remember, of an actor that had already passed away, his likeness being used in a modern film. You know, special effects were really bad. It almost reminded me of Forrest Gump whenever he meets the president and his mouth is, the president's mouth is like, Yep. Like it's super awkward. <laughs> but, yeah. Who, for, who, who knew before we had hologram Tupac, we had hologram Marlon Brando all along. <laughs> yeah. Something that that's odd to me is, and you mentioned this earlier, the suspension of disbelief in these superhero films. I say these superhero films, like I'm not the biggest <laughs> superhero film fan ever, but like the channel's not called comic book cinema. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, and I get that. There is a lot of that in these films, not just in superhero films, but in science fiction and a lot of, you know, fantasy type films. Right. But uh, you would think everyone, every reporter at the Daily Planet would put two and two together. Superman's been gone for five years because, you know, the, the plot calls for it. When Clark Kent comes back a couple days later, oh, Superman's back as well. And, they almost kind of look alike. And they even have that that moment in the film where they're talking like Lois's new squeeze, you know, is talking. Oh, yeah. I think Lois about that. He's like, you know, how tall is Clark Kent? He's like six foot, right? Yeah. They both have blue eyes, dark hair. But all it takes is him just going, oh, gee whiz. <laughs> yeah. Take- like, oh, that's not Superman. If he takes off the glasses and gets rid of the cowlick, then that's not Superman at all. And I think that it's so especially given how flimsy his explanation was for where he was gone. He didn't really explain himself at all. Jimmy Olsen did more explaining on where he, on where Superman and Clark Kent had gone off to like, Oh, he's in, he's in Tibet. He's hanging out with llamas. (laughs) That's you don't do that for five years for five years. Yeah. Clark Kent's got to come back with some better stories. If he's going to, he's got to talk about how he almost died hiking Mount Everest and how he got nursed back to health by a Sherpa in the, in, in the foothills of Tibet and how he had this epic journey. Don't just come back and be like, I get, I was gone. It's not like the rest. Think about this. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that while you're stuck in your pod. Think about your story, come up with something better. Another thing, too, while we're in the positive or slightly positive section of the film, I also really like how they did that sequence with the plane when he was saving the plane. I thought that that was very well done. And I can remember being in theaters for, you know, at the time we didn't have Iron Man. We didn't have, you know, all these MCU films. So when this film came out like in 06, I think it was maybe 05. Yeah. To see 
Superman on a modern day film, like saving this plane. And it wasn't like the Superman of the seventies, you know, it's hard to explain, but in the seventies and eighties Superman films, you know, even a helicopter, he would just reach out and grab it and, you know, bring it Mm -hmm. back. But like, there was a lot of like conflict here just within this scene. Like you thought for a second, like, dang, the wing just tore off. Is he really going to be able to save these people? You know? So I thought that that was very well executed and, still holds up relatively well that at least that scene it's a pretty good sequence but here the other thing too it's like the way that it's revealed that superman almost doesn't save the plane when they're at the baseball diamond they watch a home run get hit and then all of a sudden they see this plane that's like inches away from touching down and smashing into the baseball diamond it's like how has anyone not noticed oh there's a giant uh plane that's about to crash into us maybe maybe we should evacuate maybe we shouldn't keep playing this baseball game that's a fair point i guess i've never thought about it that way but I even love the conclusion when the, when he saves the plane and everybody starts applauding. But. That is nice. It does. It gets, again, this is the thing about Superman as a character. He's wholesome. Everybody loves Superman, right? Truth, justice, the American way. Nothing more American than Superman saving an airplane at a baseball game, right? right. If he had eaten some apple pie and a hot dog right there on the field, that would have been perhaps the most American scene in Superman film history. Yeah, that was very American. I, I'll definitely give you that. It was, uh, but yeah, I love that moment. I think that for me, at least, that's one of the redeemable moments about the film. Now we're going to get into the negatives. <laughs> the negatives, of which there are quite a few. Uh, yeah, so it's it's funny to me that James Marston always ends up playing the douchebag guy, like the, the resident douchebag in every mm-hmm. movie that he's in. I think he does it really well. They turn Superman into a bit of a creep here, honestly. You never really see Superman like using his powers to peer into Lois's house and listen to personal conversations. And he really came across as a big, big creeper here to me, honestly, in this film. Oh, yeah. And again, this is like, this is the kind of stuff that people always joke about Superman being able to do. And so you get to see him do it and it just doesn't feel right. And I think part of that also probably, we already talked about Kevin Spacey. We got Brian Singer in the director's chair here, right? And Brian Singer's also got his own slate of allegations and baggage and stuff. So him as a director, making Superman into sort of a creepy peeping Tom kind of a character kind of tracks. Like I get it. I get why he's making those choices. It doesn't make me feel good, but it's like, all right, I see, I see where you're letting your, uh, your, your life inform your art here a little bit. I didn't think about that, but that's true. Yeah. Uh, he directed this film and I don't know, like, did he ever do any hard time? I don't think he probably did, but no, he has never been, uh, he's never been arrested or or charged (laughs) with anything. That's why we're saying allegedly. All right. If you're watching Brian alleged, all right. (laughs) Alleged. Ah, well, I guess there's another, another positive I have here. (laughs) Look, before I go on, I just want to say I'm very biased when it comes to the character of Superman, that character and those old Superman films played a big part in my passion for this, these types of uh, movies. You know I mean? Okay. I, I grew up loving Superman and you know, I, it probably only grew from there. And when this film came out, I liked it, but over the years I've realized how bad of a film it is. I like how the, the bulletproofness was executed, you know, when they had the big, 
uh, Gatling gun. The Gatling gun and the bullet hitting Superman's eye. I mean, it's cool, right? It's all the things that you want to in a Superman movie. You want to see him deflecting bullets. You want to see him using his heat vision. You want to see him flying around at supersonic speeds, saving, saving planes full of people. They nail the actual superpowers part. They make him look yeah. cool, which is tough to do because Brandon Routh, real boring. Boring guy, does not seem like he has an exciting bone in his body. But they made him look cooler than he was. And I can see where someone would have issue with how Brandon Routh played the character. And he was very vanilla. I'll give you that. And another oh, yeah. bit, too, we were talking about how all the, the uh, journalists at the Daily Planet couldn't figure out that that was Superman. Apparently that kid is the only or the smartest person on the planet because he was the only one like kind of that looked at Superman or looked at Clark Kent and then looked at the television and he started having the asthma attack. Oh but yeah. He knew he knew something was He knew something, something was up. I mean, look, let's be honest. The Daily Planet is a hack newspaper full of people who don't want to do real journalism. All right. You got Frank Langella's character. So what's his name? Something Perry at the helm. Oh, he Perry, doesn't uh, Perry White. Yeah. Yeah. Perry White. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to investigate the thing that Lois Lane actually makes sense to investigate, which is this catastrophic EMP. Why is he wasting his time doing tabloid level journalism? All right. We're supposed to believe this is a paper of repute. We're supposed to believe this is, uh, this is something that people care about, right? This is not weekly world news here. We're talking about this is the daily planet. All right. We got to make sure that we're doing everything to do some actual investigative journalism and not just be like, all right, how many different pages can we cover Superman returning on? What, what's our record we can set here? 25 every section? We'll make it happen. One could say, though, that there's an awful lot of parallels between that news place and the current media that we have today. <laughs> this is true. I know if Superman came back, then we would definitely be covering that in, in, in real life instead of like, are we in a recession? Does anyone know? Yeah, absolutely. Where the problems start to arise is them deciding to make the kid Superman's illegitimate love son with Lois. Yes. And then on top of that, you know, like giving him the powers and him, him, him smashing one of the henchmen with the piano. I mean, it was just a bit much. <laughs> and... It was Him flinging the guy into the into the piano, pretty crazy scene, pretty crazy move. Yeah, it, it definitely. Especially after it. they play heart and soul together right beforehand, <laughs> it's just, it's very vicious. I I I have hated piano teachers in the past, and I've never wanted to throw one of mine through a piano on a on a yacht. It's just a little much. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, and the, and the fact that it seemed like the kid wasn't bothered by that in the least. You know, mm -hmm. I just killed a man, but. Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know. And then the whole like plot at the end with them trapped on the ship. I just wasn't a big fan. The, the conclusion of the film was very, I almost was going to say mediocre, but you could probably lean closer to piss poor <laughs> for the conclusion of this film. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is, I, I think once you start getting into the later half of the film, it really exposes the problems with it, which I feel like, it comes down to this. There's kind of two different movies that we're set in. There's two different sorts of, of, of vibes are going across in this movie, right? We have the sort of the modern, like Superman, he's coming back. He's here. He's trying to figure out who he is and what his role is in the world. This sort of forward-looking thing that, that Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan explored more with Man of Steel. But then we also have him stuck in this sort of, 
throwback 50s reality where everything feels a little bit more heightened and a little bit more campy. I mean, right down to Parker Posey's character who feels like she's in from a completely different movie altogether. She feels like in like an Adam West era Batman villain just sort of thrown into this movie. There's these themes that are very old school Superman that are clashing with these sort of new school Superman ideas and and, and ways of thinking about superheroes. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like this speaks a lot to the time that Superman Returns came out. It came out sort of right in the middle of the 2000s. We've had uh, Spider-Man and and that whole trilogy has either, you know, really like latched a place in America's mind or it started to fall off. And then we're right before really getting into the changes that Christopher Nolan brings about to the DC universe with, you know, Batman Begins has started to like catch on and then we're getting to the dark Knight in a couple years and, and the way that people think about superhero movies totally changes with that uh, realm. And we're sort of splitting the difference here with, with Superman returns. And once you get to the end of the movie, when you see that division come across and you see like, Oh, we're going to have a dark gritty Island fight on a gray Island, but we're also going to temper it with like, Oh, there's this cool, like, He's nice. He's in a house. He's hanging out with a kid. He's got this. He's got these funny moments. It just feels like it's two different movies really smashed together. And that really becomes evident in that final, I'd say, like the back half of the movie. And on top of that, I felt like the whole island that was infused with kryptonite was a very lazy idea. And also mm-hmm. one that he was able to solve so quickly, like conveniently, you know, like, yeah, the dude gets stabbed with kryptonite. And is left for dead and is saved, of course, by Lois and James Marsden. But just how he was able to go recharge by the sun for a few minutes and then swoop back in and just pick this whole entire island, like literally commit the most impressive feat Superman has ever done on screen. It just didn't make sense to me. Like if he if he gets so weakened by this kryptonite island, I don't know. I just thought that, yeah, it definitely no. falls flat in the final act <laughs> of the I'm totally with you. And especially given that we've spent, I mean, this is a two and a half hour long movie. We've spent two hours basically getting to this point. And then the final half hour, all of the problems get resolved just like that. We have Superman do this crazy feat of heroism where he flings an island with kryptonite in it into space. And then he dies. And then he's totally fine, completely unexplained. Everything gets solved. It's too quick. It's too it's too neat. It's too tidy. It doesn't feel like it has the stakes. I never felt like I was worried that Superman was actually going to die. Even yeah. when you see him flatline on camera, I'm like, nah, there's it's not it's not going to happen. He's going to be fine. And he was. No stakes. Nothing feels like or it never feels like the Superman's actually in danger. And on top of that, it also runs into the big problem that a lot of the older Superman films ran into with Who's the villain going to be for Superman? You know, we've done the Lex Luthor thing before and it worked well enough in the first Superman film, but you know, there's only so much you can do with Lex and Superman. I mean, I'm sure there's more stories we could have told that would have been better, mm-hmm. but ultimately, yeah, he honestly, I feel like Superman needs an, a, another being of equal strength to, to fight against in the final act. Right. That's what's exciting for me to see. Yeah, I think that that's what works about Man of Steel that doesn't quite work here. It's that he's going up against General Zod. And I feel like 
if like I said, if I watched Superman and uh, and Superman two, the original the original ones from the seventies, I feel like I would feel similarly about those. But watching this, you can see where they were going, but you can also see what they left behind, and you can see what they left on the table. And there's a lot that's left yep. on the table. Absolutely. So my rating, if I had to give this film a rating on a scale from zero to 10, zero being absolutely unbearable, 10 being a perfect film, I think that I really can't go higher than a four. And, and that hurts me to say that, but it's the honest truth. I mean, that's the highest that I can give this film without <laughs> screwing up my credibility. <laughs> that's fair. If I had to give this out of 10, I would give it, I mean, that's tough. I think I would give it maybe a five, five or may, perhaps, perhaps a six on a good day. But wow. I, okay. but that's the thing I'm grading. Uh, I'm grading on a curve here because I feel like there's so much that is done right in terms of the atmosphere and, and the actual, the craft side of it that works. And even some of the performances, like I said, is, although I didn't think Parker Posey's character made sense, she's really given it her all in this performance. Same yeah. with Kevin Spacey. But it feels it's it's just not quite. I, it doesn't live up to its potential. Like I didn't hate watching this movie, but I also wasn't compelled by it. I was just like, all right, this is pretty. It's got some interesting things, but it's just not. It didn't really grab me. Well, I think that's a fair, a very fair rating. I really appreciate you joining me for this episode, man. It was cool to have you on. For those of you guys that don't know, you can check Jay Light out on Instagram and YouTube. Jay, you want to give us that info where we can find you there? Yeah, find me on uh, my personal channel is at Diet J and uh, Jay Light on YouTube. Just search, uh, I think it's Jay Light TV on YouTube. And then Blockbusting can be found at Blockbusting Pod on all social media platforms. And just search Blockbusting Podcast on YouTube and uh, wherever you find podcasts. You know that you can find us here on YouTube. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram and TikTok at Real Comic Book Cinema. You can also find us on Facebook. And until next time, have a good one.